There may be snow on the ground after this week's snowstorm, but it's never a bad time to talk baseball. Welcome in. Today is Friday, December 18th, and this is another edition of Baseball in the Valley podcast by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, sports writer, JMU football writer at the paper, joined alongside by David Driver, the sports editor at the Daily News Record. David, how are you? Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. What's going on? Happy holidays to you. Um, I know you'll probably be heading north at some point, so safe travels to, to you and and yours. And uh, yeah, it's great to see you, even though our our listeners can't see each other. Maybe that's good that they can't see us, right? Right. It, uh, like, like my dad always tells me, you've got a face for radio, Greg. <laughs> uh, so, yes. So we're, we're doing the podcast via Zoom today, trying it a little different because the audio may be a little cleaner uh, than taping it over the phone. So we're trying that today. A lot to get into, though, with the baseball because, David, as you and I were just talking before we, we started recording, there's been a lot going on. Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball – and beyond, there's been a lot of news this offseason ever since the, the World Series ended and the Dodgers were crowned champs. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, the winter meetings uh, are wrapping up as we talk. They, of course, have been virtual. Um, so that lessens probably the, the rumors and things to come out of it. You could make a case that as far as minor league baseball, this might be the biggest offseason in, in more than 100 years. And, and we'll get into that. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot of things going on both locally and nationally. Yeah, let's let's start with the minor league baseball. I think that makes a lot of sense because even though it, it may not appear in the AP story or it may not appear in the national story, it's going to impact baseball as we know it locally, especially in the summer because of, of just how far the, the impact reaches. Minor league baseball, if you haven't heard, I'm sure you have. If, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have because that means you're a diehard baseball fan. But minor league baseball is going from 160 affiliated teams down to 120, which means there are a lot of teams and a lot of leagues left standing, left kind of holding the water, figuring out what's next. And major league baseball has, has stepped in and, and made a commitment to some of those towns and cities that had minor league teams that are no longer affiliated to, to keep their teams and their little stadiums relevant even after they lose their, their major league affiliate. So it's kind of interesting. And, and I think let's get to the local part first before we start talking about what's going on with, with the Nats and the O's affiliate and, and, and some of the other stuff there. The Appalachian League, which isn't too far from here, is going to be turned into a summer wood bat league. And then Major League Baseball is also going to have a new Major League Baseball draft league which is kind of interesting, kind of intriguing, because it's going to take the best prospects that are eligible for the draft, college players, high school players, and have them play in the summer too, leading into the major league draft and then after if they aren't drafted. So those towns and cities are also pretty geographically located uh, to, to where we are. Uh, if you think about Trenton, New Jersey, there's a, there's a team in West Virginia in Morgantown, the Black Bears. Uh, Frederick is going to be part of that uh, as well. And if you just look at it on the surface, you've got a couple different areas, the Appalachian League and this MLB Draft League that are north and south, really, of the Valley Baseball League, which has been a college woodbat summer league uh, for years, years and years and decades. So it is going to impact the Valley Baseball League 
uh, David. And, and even though you may not think it will, it, it, it's going to. Yeah, it definitely will. And you, you did a great story a few days ago on this. You have a good grasp, grasp of what's going on. Um, you know, yeah, I think there's, I mean, are you going to find enough players to fill out rosters? Yes, but there is going to be a glut. Like you said, some of the top prospects, you know, the Valley League has lost a lot of top prospects over the years to the Cape Cod League anyway. Other leagues have, have, have come up the last few years. So it just seems like there's going to be a glut. I mean, you know, it's great that some of these towns will still have a team, but, you know, a wooden bat league that plays 30 nights a week is a big difference from, say, a, a minor league affiliate that plays, you know, 60 or more. So, um, you know, I know you talked to some of the folks in the Valley League about where these players are going to come from, right? I mean, mm -hmm. will the Harrisonburg Turks get some of the best players in the country? It, it's going to be tough now, right? That That's what Bob Wee said. I thought that was kind of the most important quote in the whole story is – he goes, I'll have no problem getting players, but will I get the premier ball players I'm used to getting? And you think about the players that have come through Harrisonburg in the Valley League, David. I mean, you're talking Mo Vaughn, Juan Pierre, really good major league players, Eric Kratz, Emilio Pagan more recently is with the Padres this year. So fans in the Valley have gotten to see future big leaguers come through Harrisonburg. And of course, all up and down the Valley League too. I mean, I know David, you could run through a list of players who have gone through Stanton or Winchester or, or wherever uh, that, that have produced major league players. And now that's the question. Will you, will the league still get the premier top-notch future draft picks? Even Kyle McCann, a former Georgia Tech catcher, was a fourth-round pick of the Oakland A's a couple of years ago. He went through Harrisonburg. So it's, mm. it's that kind of wondering, that, that intrigue of, of getting people to the ballpark to see those future draft picks. Is that still going to happen? And I think that's a fair question. You know, it, I mean, the really diehard fan will say, hey, three years ago I saw such and such with the Turks, and now he's at AAA or the majors. But I think for, for a lot of people, that one night at the ballpark, um, maybe it's not so important who the players are. It's just that they're able to take their kids to go out and see baseball. I mean, the same is true in the minor leagues, you know. Oh, yeah. um, um, you know, if you go to Frederick and you see a single A player, yeah, you'll probably remember in three or four years if he's at, the, at Baltimore. For, but for that average night, um, you know, just seeing good baseball, if you have kids and family, it's just nice to get out, right? Yeah, and Bruce Alger, the commissioner of the league, and I give him a lot of credit. They're, they're looking to bounce back strong after not playing this past summer because of the coronavirus. I give him a lot of credit. He goes, this year there are going to be more players than ever because of the cycle. The MLB draft this past June was shortened from, from what, to down to what, four rounds, five rounds? It went from 40 to five. 40 to five, that's right. 40 yes. rounds yeah. to five rounds yeah. uh, this past June. And that means there's a – an excess of college players and high school players who are now stuck in, in colleges. There's an extra senior class in college now. There's an extra, you know, the, the freshman classes have stacked up. So there's going to be a, a wider pool of players to choose from. And now you just got to fight for the best players. There have been more and more summer college leagues popping up in recent years. At least that's what Alger and Weiss had said. Uh, but the Valley League still hopes to get some of the best players, even in spite of of Major League Baseball coming in and, and creating this Appalachian League in, in form of the Woodbat League. So it's kind of fascinating, kind of interesting to see how they'll get their players and what their, what their rosters will look like. I think you'll still have – this is just my opinion – I think you'll still have some players from 
Division I programs and, and good Division I programs. Maybe they're not the stars on those Division I programs. Maybe they're the utility guy or the backup shortstop. But maybe they'll end up in the Valley League that way. Maybe mm-hmm. you'll see some more Division Two and Division Three players in the Valley League because some of the Division One talent is going elsewhere. So I think that's really, really a fascinating part of all this. Yeah, it really is interesting. Um, you know, it, it's – and, of course, the East Coast, there's more urban areas. You know, out in the Midwest, you know, you don't have as many leagues. So um, – and, and let's be honest, a lot of these top players now want to stay closer to home. I think the virus will have a lot to do with that. You know, back in the day, people would head to Alaska, you know, some of the, you know, from the lower 48. So that's not going to happen probably as much. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I'll tr- I certainly trust what Bob Weiss and, and Mr. Alger have to say. They've been doing this a long time. They know the landscape. And so they're they're probably right on with what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think I think so. It. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how it'll play out. And I think, you know, one thing Bob Weiss and, and Alger should do is, and, and the teams in the Valley League is, is kind of start to target, you know, those CAA schools, those ACC schools, the AAC schools within, you know, a two, three hour drive and get a jump start there just to, you know, give the players a reason to stay local, give them that option of saying, hey, instead of, instead of going to the Appy League, you know, which is three hours south, or instead of going north uh, to a town where you're going to be traveling in a league. Think, think about the travel of that MLB draft league. At least I have, you know, Trenton to Morgantown, West Virginia. That's not a short drive. I used to do that drive when I was going to college at WVU from Jersey. Uh, that's yeah. not a quick drive on a bus that's even longer. Uh, the trips in the Valley League are a little shorter, and, and maybe, maybe they can use that to their advantage a little bit but anyway so that that's the impact of that locally and you can read the story dnronline.com big part of that too like i mentioned the valley but trying to bounce back this summer after not playing last year and I, that'll be great to see david just in general the valley league getting on the field regardless of, of what level talent is out there because i don't like you said i don't think the average fan is going to know, know the difference between you know that right. future prospect and a really good college player yeah well i mean like the county you know the county league this summer had several division one players, you know, they had a player from Clemson who's from Charlottesville. So that's an example, like you were talking about, of targeting ACC schools, um, you know, and getting players like that. I mean, so yeah, the, the County League was really good this year because there was no validity, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And, and I'm sure there'll be some trickle down effect there that we can get into maybe at a later time. But I want to just touch on the O's and the Nats affiliates, David, because there, there are some changes there for, for both. Frederick, no longer part of Baltimore. This is a subject you know very well. You've been to a lot of these affiliates to the O's and Nats. You want to run me through uh, some of the changes that, that's going on there with, with the O's and Nats farm farm systems? Right, sure. Um, I'll try to do it the best I can. <laughs> let's, start, let's start with the Orioles. Um, you know, the Orioles AAA affiliate will stay in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, the AA affiliate will stay in Bowie, Maryland, which is just outside of D.C. Um, high single A was Frederick. Um, that'll now be Aberdeen, Maryland, uh, home of Cal Ripken and <laughs> Ripken Stadium. And then low A um, will be will, Delmarva and Salisbury will stay will stay in the league. So Frederick is out of the out of the loop, as you mentioned. Um, not very far from Harrisonburg at all. So with the Nationals, the Nationals had more changes. Um, their AAA affiliate will move from Fresno, California to Rochester, New York, which 
years ago as it was a strong Orioles affiliate. Um, double A for the Nationals will stay in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, high A will now be, um, I'm blanking out here. So Wilmington, Wilmington right. Yeah, oh, so yeah. Wilmington was a Kansas City Royals affiliate. That'll now be Washington. And then their low A will now be go from, uh, will be Fredericksburg, mm-hmm. um, which the plan was for Fredericksburg to be in the Carolina League this year. Of course, there was no season. So Fredericksburg with a new stadium, again, not very far from Harrisonburg, they'll drop down to low A. So yeah. basically four full season affiliates for both the Orioles and Nationals. Yeah, what, one thing I really think looks good with both of those is that all the affiliates are pretty local. In, in 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 the realm of the major league city, and I think that's something that that happened for the most part across major league baseball, minor league baseball. Like I know the Mets, they've got Syracuse, Binghamton, Brooklyn, uh, and Port St. Lucie is the outlier in Florida, which is their spring training home. Right. So I like how major league baseball did that this year. Do you think there's any benefit to that, David? Well, you know the Orioles, and I mean especially the Orioles, they've been doing this for about 20 years. They were one of the first major league clubs to try that model and it's worked out really well i mean again if you're a baseball diehard you can follow an oriole minor league player all the way up the ladder um it is pretty cool yeah which is really neat the nationals have seen that and they've tried to model that um this by having the triple a affiliate you know in in rochester okay it's it's Still a good, good little ways from Washington, but Harrisburg with double – your best players are always going to play at the double-A level. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last 20 years, we've seen major league teams bring up guys straight from double-A and not even go to triple-A. So Harrisburg is not is only two hours from Washington. Um, so I think, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, the Red Sox and Mets have both been able to do it. Again, the Northeast is, is a little bit unique. A little easier to do that. Yeah. I mean, the Atlanta Braves AAA affiliate is, you know, moved from Richmond and is now in suburban Atlanta. So, again, East Coast, Mid-Atlantic, it's easier to do that sit in Midwest and, and the West Coast. Yeah, no, it, it's it's interesting uh, for sure. Just to touch on Richmond, uh, the Flying Squirrels stay the AA affiliate of the San Francisco Giants. That's nowhere near San Francisco, but uh, I think it's worked out well for them in the sense that when they travel to play on the East Coast, They've got a double-A affiliate they can pull up from maybe a little easier than, than, say, out in California. Yeah, that's a good point. There was a lot of talk that maybe um, Fresno would go to the Giants, where Richmond could go to the Nationals as an affiliate. There, I think the Nationals obviously wanted that to happen. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, interesting that, that Richmond will stay double-A. Um, you know, Richmond would love to have a triple-A team at some point, but as you probably know, there's just been so much – Oh yeah, stuff stalled with government and trying to figure out funding down there, and it's just—it seems like it's been going on forever. Yeah, I, I, I like in the uh, the the Richmond Flying Squirrel Stadium there, the diamond, uh, to the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum of of minor league baseball. Uh, it's it's a concrete structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's a good analogy. Um, you know, it does have a triple A feel to it with the upper deck. Yes. I mean, um, um. Yeah, it's it's right across the street from the bus station. So if somebody if you need to if you need to bring in a player from uh, on Greyhound, they they don't they just have to walk across the street. But uh, um, I don't know how much that happens these days. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. The Nats and the O's, though, now David, is as we transition a little bit into what they're doing uh, this off season, maybe a little different of a feel for both. I would say 
the Nats, uh, they, they won the World Series last fall. Uh, the, the reigning, I guess you could say, full season, regular normal season defending champion. Uh, if you go back to 2019 when they were really good and had uh, that three-headed monster of a pitching staff uh, led by Scherzer, Strasburg, and, and Corbin. Uh, the O's, I think they're still in the middle of a rebuild. Let, let's talk O's first. Uh, they've traded, already made one move this offseason, trading Jose Iglesias to the Angels. Where do you think the O's are at in this rebuild uh, as as they start to look, maybe look forward? Yeah, I I, I think it really is in a, is a rebuild mode. Um, that trade you mentioned got them some young pitchers. Uh, Garrett Stallings is from Chesapeake, Virginia. So I think the Orioles are trying to stockpile their minor league system with as many prospects as they can. Um, you know, they, they've traded, um, like you said, their shortstop. They non-tendered Alberto, their second baseman. Uh, Nunez, their DH, was released. So, you know, and, and the, the economy of it, too, I think there's a lot of people that look at the Orioles and feel like they've always tried to be on the cheap end. But I think they are doing it the right way. They've, they've stockpiled their minor league system with as many prospects as they can. I mean, yes, they've they've traded away or got rid of some major league veterans, but I think they feel like if, unless you're a superstar, you know, difference maker, we're going to get prospects for you the best we can. It's so it, it really looks like a total rebuild for the Orioles. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting, but I guess uh, that's kind of the, the way those, the GM and the manager there in Baltimore were brought up, right? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, Elias, the GM was with the Astros. They had what three 100 lost seasons in a row, two or three and total rebuild. And when we see what happened, they made it to the world series. Um, um, so I think the Orioles are following that model um, the best they can. Um, they're stockpiling their system, especially with young arms. Um, I think, you know, I don't know if anybody else cares about this, but like six of their minor league pitchers in the Orioles system are from Virginia. Um, we have, you know, so, and some of them are high, high end draft picks. So, um, so yeah, that's what, the, that's the way the Orioles are going. Yeah. Brennan Hannafee, the, the former TA uh, pitcher, he's in the Orioles system. Shelton Perkins, former standout JMU relievers in the Orioles system. Uh, so interesting to see where they're at right now. What, one feel good story with the O's looks like Trey Mancini could be back, right? Yeah, there's been a lot on social media about him the last week or two. He's posted some results from his um, treatment um, that he's had. I think he's been in the D.C. area for that. So they're expecting him back. Um, just really, you know, great player on the field, which is the most important thing, right? But a, but a huge clubhouse presence, um, really well-respected, well-liked by his teammates, media. Um, so, yeah, I think everybody's pulling for this guy. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think that's a great story that the O's should definitely uh, be, be promoting once opening day rolls around if, if he's healthy and, and good to go. Uh, I know you, you listened in on Dave Martinez this week, uh, the national skipper uh, via Zoom. What's the status with the Nats right now? Where are they at in their offseason plans? And do you think they're in the market for, for big-time players? Yeah, well um... – you know, one of my colleagues was, was on DC radio this past week and she was asked, you know, if you, if, if the national spending, is it going to be low, medium or high this offseason? She, she went pretty much medium. I would say medium to low, to be honest. Um, you know, it's hard to criticize what they've done in the past with the big contracts with Strasburg and Zimmerman. And we, we've talked about this before, but I just, 
I wonder without just how much motivation ownership has now that they've won a World Series. They won. I mean, yeah. um, they've won a World Series. The Lerner family has been around a long time. Um, you know, the big the big news right now this week is Max Scherzer going into the last year of his contract. Right. Um, so there's stuff on online about do you re-sign him to, you know, extend him or do you trade him? Um, and get prospects. I don't think they're going to trade him. You don't. You don't want to be the GM that traded a future Hall of Famer. But so I, I, I think they'll go out and get a couple a couple bats. I don't think they're going to make a big splash. I, I don't think they're going to get any of these high end free agents. I would be shocked if they did. Yeah, the the NL East is so intriguing because you have a lot of teams that are capable of winning right now. The Marlins made the playoffs. <laughs> don't don't forget that, right? Uh, the right. Marlins have a lot of young pitching. The Phillies, maybe they pull back the reins a little bit with the spending under uh, Dombrowski. Then you got the Mets, who, with the new owner, Steve Cohen, look like they're going to be big-time spenders and, and play big market baseball. The Braves have won the division the last two years. And the Nets, if, if that pitching is healthy and bounces back, plus you throw Soto in there, that's a pretty good team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with with Turner and Soto, um, and, and Dave Martinez was asked this this week, you've got Trey Turner and Juan Soto, how do you build your lineup around them? I mean, you could make a point of, of hitting Turner second or third, and then Soto third and fourth, but as they know, they have to have somebody batting behind Soto. Right. Um, I think also, to take a negative view, I mean, can you count on Strasburg and Scherzer each making 30 to 35 starts next year? I think that's asking a lot. I don't. I don't think you can count on Strasburg doing it. Scherzer's at least done it in his career more regularly. Strasburg, though, it, it seems like there's always something. Even though he was just so good in the playoffs on their their run to a championship, it, that that really is a fascinating situation. I think that's something too they got to consider whether to extend Scherzer or not. Is can you trust him as he gets older? Yeah, I. I mean. As, you know, Scherzer is great, obviously, Hall of Fame level yeah. pitcher. I, but to sign him to a three- or four-year extension, I wouldn't. Um, there's just too much wear and tear. We've seen too many long-term pitcher contracts blow up in the face of, of teams that have tried that. So I know you don't think they'll, they'll spend uh, big money. So that probably re- rules out Real Muto as a catching option for them. Bauer as a pitching option. I don't think they need the pitching anyway right this second. And then Springer is the other big free agent out there. Probably rules them out for all those guys, right? I, I would say so. I mean, Real Muto would be perfect for them. He would fill two spots. He would fill two needs yeah. for you. You know, yeah. Catching and, and, and a big bat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he would be absolutely perfect. Um, but, yeah, I think they definitely need a corner outfielder. They're, they're going to move Juan Soto to right field. That's, I feel like that's a done deal. Um, Andrew Stevenson is in their system, really came on strong at the end of last year. You could slot him into left field. I think a lot of people feel like he's a fourth outfielder. Um, but if they go cheap, he might be your starting left fielder. Um, they have needs at first base. They have needs at third base. They need another catcher. So there's a lot of needs out there for the Nationals. Do you think the, the big move from, from them, if it happens, would come via trade then? Is, is that what you're thinking, a Bryant or an Arenado? Or is that not is that not feasible? Do they not have enough in the system? So yeah, you, you hit it right. You hit it exactly right. What they have in the system is pitching, and 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 they have a. And I've talked to some scouts from other teams that they really like their pitching. They were down in Florida in the instructional league, but all of those pitchers, almost all of them, have never pitched above single A. 
Um, and I don't think the Nationals were probably going to be willing to trade some of those really top pitchers for, say, a Chris Bryant. And to be honest, there's not a lot of position players in the system. There's, there's nobody besides Carter Kingboom ready to play third base in the system. Wow. Um, there are some good catchers in the system that could be a number two behind Gomes. Hmm. Um, um, first base, I can't even think of a first baseman in the system that could play first base at the major league level next year. So, um, yeah, great young pitching. I just don't know if they're willing to trade some of those potential frontline starters for, say, a, a major league ready guy. Fair enough. Well, let's, before we transition into, into something else, let me get your pre-agent predictions for Springer, Bauer, and Real Muto. I'll put you on the spot. You wow. know, this is, this is a big-time baseball podcast. We got to get you. We got to put you on the spot a little bit. Yeah, you really did, because I only followed the Orioles and Nationals. You did a better <laughs> job of, of following the rest of the majors. Um, so, the Real Muto, um, boy, um, well, that would be out. That'd be crazy to say he, he'd stay with the Phillies, right? But who knows? The Mets are out. The Mets are yeah, out. They yeah. already signed James McCann. Yeah, so I might say he's going to stay. I'll say this. I'll say he's going to stay in the National League East. I'm going to say either the Phillies or the Nationals. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and Springer, um, hmm, that's an interesting one. I don't know the needs of, of a lot of teams for their outfield. Um, you might know that one better than I. Bauer, I just know by following him on social media, that guy could end up anywhere, <laughs> wherever <laughs> wants to take him. So, um, yeah, probably, you know, and you've got to believe the Yankees are going to get somebody, one of those one of those two maybe, or the Red Sox. So, yeah, you would think, or you know, get the Dodgers. I mean, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, right? Yeah, they're going to make the big splash. Yeah, I'm going to say Real Muto ends up in Philly or Washington too. I, I like that pick from you. Uh, Washington makes sense because it fills two need as, needs, as you mentioned. Philadelphia, it seems like the market's coming back to them now that the Mets are out and, it, and they went elsewhere. It doesn't seem like catching is a is a priority for a lot of teams, maybe other than Philadelphia and Washington to keep their guy in, in Real Muto with the Phillies. Bauer, I, I don't know. For some reason, I think he, st- he goes out west and he goes to the Angels. Uh, they need pitching desperately. That's just my take. You know, you have Mike Trout, maybe the greatest player of, you know, this, this generation, uh, along with Anthony Rendon, the former national. At some point, you got to get somebody to pitch, right? Uh, so right. maybe yeah. Artie Moreno yeah. spends the money on some pitching. And then I look, I look at Springer. Let's hope he goes to the New York Mets. I want George Springer in center field uh, as a Met fan. That, that that's a gut prediction more more than a mm-hmm. uh, brain prediction but uh that's what i'll do i'll go springer to the mets bauer to the angels and then real muto either stays in philly or goes to washington that, that's pretty good that sounds good to me all right fair enough one other real interesting storyline just this past week that from the off season the indians no longer going to be called the cleveland indians and that's I, i'm sure that's hard i mean this is this is something this is what they've been called for uh, more than a century, David. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Um, been following it on on Twitter. Uh, a lot of fans want to see them be called the Spiders, uh, which yeah. is what they. I think that was their name in 1890, something <laughs> like that. My my wife asked me, does anybody else have the nickname Spiders? Well, we know that the University of Richmond um, has the Spiders. I don't know of any other pro or college team that has the Spiders, but so um. That would be interesting. A lot of people want to see them be called the Cleveland Rocks. It makes a lot of sense. I think if you're looking for young demographics, that that would make a lot of sense. You also have to think about what works for a mascot. 
right? So yes. the spider is kind of a creepy, intimidating mascot. Uh, rocks, I don't know what you can, you have a big rock, right? So big guitar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, right, yeah. So um, those are probably the most, it's interesting to me though that, that they're going to stick with the Indians for 2020, 2021. I don't, you know, they could have made this announcement and already had a, a, a name in place, but that doesn't get the fans involved, right? Right. I, to me, I, I think that's what both the former Washington Redskins and, and the Cleveland Indians should have done. I think it's, it's weird. I, unless the, the Washington football team is going to keep that name long term, I think it's a little strange that you're going with an interim name for, for one year. Uh, and then Cleveland, in this case, if you're going to change the name, then just change it, right? I mean, that, yeah. that, that yeah. to me would make the most sense. If you're not going to change the name, then that's fine. Keep it. But if you, if you are going to change it, have something ready to go. Or it's probably better that they don't go with an interim name if they're going to pick a different mascot soon. Uh, but for, for this season, you, you probably should have just waited that until you had a nickname ready to go. You know, I, with Washington football, I heard a lot. I listened a lot about rebranding. And, if you, t- mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about rebranding, the experts say it's a long process. To me, these in our generation with social media – a year to me seems like forever, right? No doubt. <laughs> I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm with you. You know, I I still catch myself calling them the Redskins. Uh, that's just out of habit. Uh, just like I, you know, call the call the uh, San Diego, the Los Angeles Chargers, the San Diego Chargers, still <laughs> from time to time. But uh, I think it'd be a pretty easy adjustment if you had a new nickname. It might be easier if you had a brand new nickname than calling them, uh, you know, something else. So yeah. uh, interesting. Uh, story nonetheless, and it'll be fascinating to see what they end up being called. Yeah, uh, the Cleveland yeah. baseball team, we'll see. Uh, then you have a really, really good story, and I, I liked your column this morning a lot on the Negro Leagues finally getting uh, their just due as it, as it comes to Major League Baseball. No longer a secondary organization. Major League Baseball is putting them on par uh, with itself. Uh, which I think is is really fascinating. David, there are some ties to Virginia and the Valley uh, that I just kind of wanted to give you the platform to speak about since you wrote about it so eloquently today. Well, thanks. Um, I, I wanted to spend more time on it than I did. Um, I've gotten some good feedback already this morning. Uh, some people would love to know of some some who were some of the best uh, black players from the Harrisonburg area going way back. Um, I haven't been able to do a lot of research on that, but um I do have some really good resources. I have one friend um, from the Washington area who wrote a book about the Negro Leagues a couple years ago. Um, I use a resource that came out in the 90s. It's probably the, the best resource in, that we have for Negro League baseball. Um, and as I mentioned in the column, um, there was a native of Winchester um, called Spotswood Poles. Again, he was born a long time ago. He was born in the 1880s. Um, but he was a really, really good player. Um, I knew about him before Wednesday. Um, okay. He's he's buried at uh, Arlington National Cemetery. I went there in the in the 90s to see his grave um, wow. because he he was also in the military. He was in World War One, but uh, he was called the Black Tie Cobb. Um, he's listed at five foot seven. He was a switch hitter, um, really fast. I'm sure he bat, hit lead off. Um, played from like 1906 to 1923. Had a long wow. career. A career, yeah. Um, Again, records back then, whether they were major league or Negro leagues, you know, you sometimes wondered how accurate they were, but he hit over 400 a couple times. Um, 
So again, we don't know, I don't know much about his youth in Winchester. There's not much about him. Um, there were some players from Richmond, um, Roanoke that played in the Negro League. So this book has that information. So um, yeah, it was really interesting that it came down this week. Um, I, you know, it's it's um, instilled a lot of conversation among historians. And yeah, um, so yeah, it, it, it was an interesting announcement. Yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, I, I think it's really important, and I know that the Negro League Museum. Uh, just from watching Major League Baseball Network and hearing about it on, on MLB Radio, uh, they they do a lot of really good work to preserve the history uh, of the Negro League. Which I think Bob Kendrick is is the the gentleman who runs the, the Negro League Museum. Yeah, I, I I've been to Kansas City. I've been I I'm kicking myself for not stopping in to see it a couple of years ago. Uh, I've been close by where it is. I would highly recommend it if you're in Kansas City. Um, most major league teams, when they're in Kansas City to play the Royals, they'll take their team to go to the museum and mm -hmm. and, and see it. The Nationals have done that. The Orioles have done that. Um, a little closer to home, um, there is a Negro Leagues museum in Baltimore County, Maryland. Wow. Um, at a library there. It's not huge, but there is something there. Um, in terms of Virginia, the Shenandoah Valley, I'm not aware of anything in particular, but hopefully this this decision this week will make people more interested in the Negro Leagues. And, and unfortunately, some of these people are, are passing away. So it's important to preserve that history now, right? Oh, for, for sure. Un undoubtedly. And I, I remember, too, even growing up, going to uh, my, my family, we had the Sunday plan at Shea Stadium. So we'd go to the Met games, home games every Sunday. And once a year, they would do, you know, a tribute to the Negro Leagues, uh, typically around Jackie Robinson Day. And the Mets would wear a Negro League uniform, you know, whether uh, I think it was whether the Newark team or one of the New York teams. Uh, I don't think the Black Yankees, but one of the other New York teams, uh, they, they would wear the uniforms. I always thought it was a really neat tribute. Uh, so it's, it's interesting that baseball, you know, is, uh, is, is doing that this week and, and very fascinating uh, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, last thing, I, I don't want to forget because we do have some, some local – uh, real local news uh, in terms of JMU and some of the local high schools, David. Uh, James Madison announced its recruiting class, the baseball team, under coach Marlon Eikenberry. Uh, and a couple of local standouts, David. Bright Suiters from Broadway, an outfielder, and Ryan Cook, a pitcher from Fort Defiance. Right. And uh, Ryan's father, Derek, went to uh, Stanton High, pitched for JMU back in the 90s, and then had a nice minor league career. Um and uh, yeah, I think I, I think Marlon is probably pretty happy with this class. Um, several from Virginia, several from Maryland. Um, from West Virginia, yeah. The, yeah, us twins from West Virginia. And if you saw Kurt Dudley's tweet this week, he knows the history of JMU baseball. This will be the second set of twins to play baseball at JMU. How about um, that? Yeah. And uh, one of the players they got from Baltimore um, is a pitcher. And he played in high school for Larry Seats, who uh, played for the Orioles and, of course, is from Stanton and, and from EMU. So a lot of really good local connections with the class, but probably more importantly for, for the Dukes, it looks like a really solid class as well. And, and, Greg, I'm sure you can speak to that better than I can. Yeah, I, I think so. And they've done a really good job uh, recruiting the past couple of years under Eikenberry and the pitching coach, Jimmy Jackson, uh, they found some players that were maybe under-recruited or had some bigger offers. I think to chase the Lauder story, uh, the outfielder, pitcher, two-way standout, 
he was offered by West Virginia, Big 12 school, Pittsburgh, an ACC school. But JMU offered him the opportunity to pitch and play the outfield and hit. Uh, and he chose that over schools that just wanted him to do one or the other. Uh, so I think they've done some really good job, uh, really good job of identifying players that, that may have opportunities at bigger schools, but maybe a greater opportunity at JMU, if that makes some sense. And they've also done really well locally. Uh, Justin Showalter, uh, he put together an outstanding season. They've hit some of the Catholic schools up in the Northern Virginia area. Uh, I think it's Paul the Fourth. Uh, they've hit pretty hard and, and done a really nice job at. Uh, so the JMU, they've, they've, they've upgraded the talent level in that program, I would say. Yeah, no, you're right. The, 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 Catholic, the, the Catholic League in D.C. has some really good, um, really good players. Um, uh, St. John's is in D.C. They've sent several pitchers to Virginia. So, yeah, I think it sounds like a really good recruiting class. And DeLauder, I mean, uh, <laughs> boy, I mean, they really struck gold with this guy. I mean, you and I have both talked to people, and uh, everybody just raving about this guy um, in, in the summer he had in, in, in the county league. Yeah, and I know he's got uh, – he's going to play in the Cape this summer is what I've heard. Uh, and I think that's a done deal already. So I think I can say that on the air. Uh, yeah. not, uh, these people who are listening 40 minutes in, they get a special <laughs> treat. Well, if, if, he's, if he's not, then they should hear this and make sure that he is, right? Right, so, right. Well, no, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's a done deal. Yeah. Uh, but the, the lauder, uh, just an out, outstanding get for them. And I, I, since I know some of the folks at West Virginia, I had, you know, some, some fellow media members reach out and they're like, how the heck did the Mountaineers not get this kid? <laughs> Uh, so, so pretty, pretty fascinating uh, that his name's kind of resonating around the state of West Virginia uh, while he's starring at JMU. Well, and you mentioned West Virginia, and we can just touch on this to end. I mean, Cody, our prep writer, has done a yeah. great job. I mean, there are – Cody is saying there's a boatload of Division One baseball players in the Shenandoah Valley right now. There are. And not all of them are juniors and seniors. Um, so uh, – and one is going to West Virginia. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really good era for, for baseball in the Valley. Yeah, I think it's Branson Hensley that's going to West Virginia. And then another young kid out of Bridgewater, I think Mike – is it Micah Matthews? That's correct, uh, yeah. Who's mm -hmm. headed to South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Plus you got the kids that are going to JMU and other Fort players going to UVA. I hope we get some baseball in the spring at the high school level because it's going to be – Probably as good as it's been since I've been on uh, since I've been at the Daily News Record, and I got here, you know, summer early uh, early summer 2016. Okay, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, uh, and even going back further than that, it sounds like really? a really good time for for baseball in the valley. Yeah, no doubt. And well, we'll have to have Cody on the podcast to talk about some of that as we get closer to the high school season. And I think David, me and you are going to do this a little more regularly. Uh, we've had some, some things that have been out of our hands that hasn't allowed us to do the podcast uh, as frequently as we would like. Uh, but we're going to try to talk baseball uh, pretty regularly, and especially once we get into the season or spring training at least. Uh, we'll, we'll do touch on it a little more maybe once a month until then, uh, and then maybe a little more frequently uh, because we think it's important that we do this regularly, build up some listenership, and go from there. So for those who like it, uh, it's going to be coming at you more, and we couldn't be more excited about it. So, David, uh, thanks for taking time this morning. Always good to talk baseball with you. Same here, Greg. Thanks for doing this, and, and safe travels over the holidays. Sounds good, David. Merry Christmas.